Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 89, Return of the Evil Leaper. guys were, uh, dragon, huh? Uh, uh, dragon? Duh. We were chicken racing. Yeah, till you hitched a ride. Don't you get it? Get what? He's the Midnight Marauder, mm. right? That's the Midnight Marauder? You're a scholarship student, and you're taking a double load of credits. Oh, you must be smart. Favorite course? Uh, Astronomy. Well, your mind is merging with the Midnight Avenger. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It is not. I'm fine. And it's Marauder. See? See what? Sam, this is a guy that loves to dress up in tights and run around in the dark, pulling crazy stunts like Captain Goody Two-Shoes. Yeah, well, well, after today's stunt, he's lucky to still be alive. I never met a real superhero before. Hi, I'm Don Taylor. Hi, I'm Arnold Watkins. Just how fast was that speeding car going? Oh, it wasn't really going fast. I mean, when I got on it, You okay? She's fine. She's fine. Her only problem is she's smelling your dirty socks, Arnold. Right, baby? Yeah, right. <laughs> what were you saying, Arnold? Never mind. It was nothing. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, it was nice meeting you, too. Guess why we're here, darling. Lovices are dealing with some Woody Allen type. Perfect job for a homecoming queen. <laughs> I guarantee within five minutes I'll have Arnold's slide rule fully extended. That's my girl. <laughs> oh, darling, you won't believe this. Your dream date is back at Road's End, messing things up again. You gotta figure me a way out of this fast, Al. Did I hear that right? Lovers? Oh, it's him. Your little Arnold the Dweezel is none other than Dr. Samuel Beckett. Just tell me my mission. Don't tell me. After all you've been through, that you still... Just tell me. I'm supposed to kill him, right? I'm supposed to blow his brains out? Lothos hasn't decided. But whatever happens, Beckett must not know that you're here. So you may not touch him. Oh, what's going on? <laughs> my God. 
God. Leah? Where's what's your face? Uh, Chloe. Zoe. Is she here? No, but she could be here any second. And if she sees me talking to you, she could tell Lothos. And Look, I'm not going to let you go away again. You don't have a choice. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So do you. You said that last time, and look where I am now. Leah, Leah, listen to me. Maybe we can leap out of here together. You have to trust me. It'll work. I'll leap. You'll go with me. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today, we talk about the return of the evil leaper. <laughs> We've been getting a lot of mileage out of that diabolical laugh ever since before Blood Moon. <laughs> I do it too much. I need to change it up. Uh, yes. <laughs> Let's get rid of Blood Moon, please. <laughs> hey, this isn't Return of the Evil Leaper. It's Evil Leaper 1 Reprise. <laughs> <laughs> you noticed that, did you? This had three titles, actually. What up with that? I hope no one was going in this blind, because if they were watching it and they're like, oh, I guess the Evil Leaper's in this episode, we don't even see her before like the credits are done, and they're like, Evil Leaper, here's what you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was any missing this. Did they hype this one up, though, or was it just the, the first one when they're like, an Evil Leaper's coming? Well, there was definitely there was a half-page advert in... TV guide promoting the return of the evil leaper. Oh, okay. And of course it was a double it was a double length one that night, so yeah, there had to be something big coming. Did they do it as a double length? Oh yes. Okay, because I know I watched it in real time, so I know I watched the whole double length thing. Like I watched the whole double length thing a trilogy, but I don't remember. I mean so when I was watching this episode today for the first time in Yonks, um Struck me, Allison, what you said was, first it was previous, like Evil Lever 1, reprise, and then they showed, I guess, the pertinent stuff. And then they come up, and the title is Evil Leaper 2. And I'm like, okay, so they have this title screen almost like Trilogy 2. So <laughs> is it really called Return of the Evil Leaper? Evil Leaper 1, Evil Leaper 2, <laughs> sequel, the reprise, part B, The Reckoning. <laughs> And then they bring up the actual title on screen, Return of the Evil Leaper, like they would any other title. But, Chris, no, it doesn't stop there, though, because you probably don't remember because it was that long ago. But the original broadcast... But Jackie was killed in the original history, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> right, the original broadcast, where, where the card now comes up saying Return of the Evil Leaper, it just came up saying Return. And then halfway through the 90-minute special, another card comes up saying Revenge. Like, over the shot of the prison. So I cannot get my head around what to call this. Like, I'm, I'm so anally retentive about this kind of thing. This is Mandela effect. Return of the Evil Leaper was never what it was called. No, it was promoted as the return of the Evil Leaper. There's the whole caption card stuff at the start. Is it Evil Leaper 2? Who knows? And then, yeah, it's either Return or Return of the Evil Leaper, depending on whether you're watching it in syndication or not. And then you have the same thing again with Revenge. I, uh, <laughs> How did I know that we were going to hone in on this immediately? All it's this confusing. Nonsense. Oh, I've been having sleepless nights wondering what we're going to put on the little uh, the icon. Um. <laughs> Just put up a stamp a bunch of words all over it, and eventually one of them will be right. Evil stuff. 
<laughs> All right. So whether we're calling it reprise or return or revenge or whatever, we're going to be talking about Zoe and Aaliyah. And um, to that end, we will be featuring an encore interview with Carolyn Seymour, who played Zoe. Albie spoke to her some years ago. So what better time to run it than now? And um, I'm also here to tell you that we don't have an interview with actress Renee Coleman, who played Aaliyah, but I did talk to her. And I'll tell you all about that conversation after we hear from Carolyn later in the podcast. So stay tuned for all of that. That's going to be after the break, after our main discussion. But um, we have a lot. The show is packed. And I'm glad that we're getting into this title thing. And <laughs> because now I can't, I can't watch these episodes anymore without thinking, especially when I saw this whole mess in the beginning with, with, with what was going on. Was this a 90 minute? Was this a full night special? What's Matt going to say about this? I can't wait to ask Matt about this. Matt knows. <laughs> Matt's going to tell me. Matt. <laughs> so I knew that you would be able to provide some insight on that score. W were there some other things, like some other wrinkles to this? Yeah. So um, in terms of the opening credits, after the 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 this the single word return um we then run through as you would probably expect a combined set of guest cast so the the cards come up with the guest cast for both halves of the two part are kind of merged in but where they have the um like the the writing and directing credits um are, are different for for each part it actually comes up saying uh, like part two written by blah blah blah, part three written by blah blah. So even though it's a it's a single ninety minute special, it's the credits kind of treated as part two and three, which it is, but it's also not because it's a single ninety minute follow up <laughs> to a forty five minute episode from earlier in the season. But they call it parts two and three, which is just a little bit mind boggling. Aside from all that fun, and I I love all that kind of stuff. That uh, that's like when I got my hands on an off air, that was the first thing I went for. How are they going to do the credits? Because um, <laughs> that's just what gets me going. Aside from that, um, there's uh, oh, and and the other thing is um, in the pre credits when you get that lovely card coming up saying uh, Evil Leaper One Reprise. In the original, Scott Bakula talks over it, saying, "Here are some scenes from Evil Leaper Part One." Why didn't they keep that in? <laughs> oh, it's terrible! It's so bad. <laughs> um, but other than that, there are no differences. There's no actual additional footage. Um, Revenge has a whole bunch of extra bits in, so we'll we'll come to that in the next podcast. But uh, yeah, th there's n no missing material. I kind of figured if there was extra footage, they wouldn't have had to pad this episode out so much when they split it into two. Because, like, if you take out the opening credits, the recap, the extra long leap out, and then the extra long credits, this is a very short episode. This is, like, 30-some minutes. Yeah. Oh, this, yeah, I, that's the thing that really stood out to me was how ridiculously short this episode was with all the padding. And it still took me over an hour to watch on the NBC app. Thank you very much, NBC app, with all your damn commercials. <laughs> but uh, let's maybe do some initial impressions. If you guys don't mind, if, if I can start with mine. I don't mind the concept of the evil leaper. Um, I'm, I'm not really even sure that I minded this episode. I think I like this episode. What I do think this episode suffers from is like, like what's the thing where it's like the second one in a trilogy is always like the most incomplete one because it can only bring the story to a certain point, but it, it has to end without finishing the story. Oh, you ain't thinking of Shrek 2 then. 
<laughs> but I mean, this is something that I've heard told, like a special problem of middle installments. Hmm. No, is yeah, you're right. They, they, I get what they, you're saying. They only can spin their their wheels. Yeah, and this suffered that tremendously. And I'm a fan of sequels. I did a whole to flip side called sequelitis. I love part twos of everything. Back <laughs> to the Future Part Two is the best one. Screw you. I stand by it. I'll die on that hill. <laughs> I'll die there with you. Thank you, Matt. I knew no. we were uh, brothers, <laughs> brothers across the Atlantic. <laughs> but even though I was trying to engage in the story, I could not help get over just the, the mechanics of this one showing. So um, I'd like to talk about some of that. But before we get too deeply into all that stuff, Allison, do you have initial impressions? Uh, the Evil Leaper stuff is like a completely different era of Quantum Leap. So you got to be either for that particular element of it or or you're just not in the mood and you want to watch some classic Quantum Leap because it works differently. And I'm glad that the show um, did some more kind of complicated stories uh, for Sam in particular. This is not like a just like leap in and like, let's be real. No one really cared about what the leap actually was <laughs> this particular episode like who cares about like <laughs> with the, the drag race and the hazing and all that uh, it's all about the evil leaper stuff and um i think it's just because uh like you said this is the middle of a of a trilogy and because it's leading into the other uh other story and it's got all the stuff with Aaliyah and then it's got the stuff with the residuals and it's got all this other stuff it's just it's crammed into too small of a space so I, I don't know if it, it was satisfying enough in all elements, but I still think it's a good episode. You guys, you disappoint <laughs> me. We finally hit my favorite episode of Quantum Leap. Oh my God. This? I, was, yes. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know whether to start with just the fact that I absolutely adore this. Or just to start arguing with you guys about your points. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll come to the arguments later. You're, you're both wrong. It's because you're a big Doogie Hauser fan, right? It's, I love Neil Patrick Harris, but it's not. I, the second I saw Sam in the, in the Midnight Marauder outfit, I said, Superhero Quantum Leap, Matt's favorite episode. It's got to be. Got to be. <laughs> I, I don't know where you get the idea I'm, I'm into superhero stuff. But yeah, no, I, I think this is a it's a really fun episode. Um, it's got some fabulous waiting room stuff. There's some really good material there. I inhaled a bit where uh, when Allison said about yeah we don't care about the leap. Um, we only care about the evil leaper stuff. But only because I was immediately going for the waiting room stuff. So I do care about the leap, but only because of the stuff that's happening in the future. So yeah, I get the point that the stuff happening in the present doesn't or in the past rather it's it's not the point of it but you've got two really solid plot lines with some fantastic performances um yeah i i get i could watch this over and over again and i love the fact that it's actually quite short it really packs in some good drama very tightly it doesn't feel flabby at any point i do switch off like five minutes before the end because it it, yeah, it does leap out about five minutes before the end credits uh have finished if you take it as a 35-minute episode, I, I think the pacing's great. Wow. I'm so glad that we're here. <laughs> and now we all know our favorite and least favorite episodes. We're a part of the same club now. <laughs> yeah. This is quite a one-two punch here. You got your your least favorite episode and then your favorite back-to-back. 
I know, right? This is like we were we were talking about Blood Moon, and I was just thinking, can we just get this over with, please? I just want to <laughs> want to get. And this is all right. So this is not regular quantum leap. I mean, yeah, Alison, you said yourself, this is like a, the whole evil leaper thing is a whole it's, it's a whole other level of quantum leap. This is not good quantum leap. It's good something else, but it is really good something else. And I think that's what I was getting at with with Sam dressed up as the Marauder. It's not so much the superhero element, but it was sort of the gonzo genre element. (laughs) Just the embracing of just the absurdity that seems to be the hallmark of season five. Because when you're watching Color of Truth, (laughs) in what reality do you think he's going to wind up on the hood of a car as a superhero? (laughs) This is a much better take than um there's an earlier script that Mm. is more about the superhero element of it and it's like it's just full-on batman he's he's just batman and aliyah is this reporter and he's got this big mansion and (laughs) all this stuff about this relic and stuff and it's just completely like uh i i don't know if i i might enjoy it for being bad if they'd actually made it but i don't (laughs) think i would consider it very good (laughs) I think like this episode does a much better job of trying to touch on some of the heart of of what Quantum Leap is about. It's just the the evil leaper stuff overshadows it a little bit. I do like the stuff in the future, and I do like um, the stuff with Aaliyah. I, I guess Arnold Watkins in the present day, it's you know you're not really too worried about him about what's going to happen to Sam. <laughs> no. Right, and I think that's the chief distinction because, like you, Allison, in my mind, the leap is just perfunctory. I don't care about really what's going on in the leap because it's all about the evil leaper, hmm. but I do care about Arnold. And I thought that those were the strongest scenes in the episode. I really, in the four minutes of his <laughs> Batman origin story reprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Arnold, you couldn't protect your parents when Kanowski opened fire. You were seven years old. You'd gone out to the car to get your jacket when you heard the shots. By the time you came back in, it was just in time to see Kanowski use the last bullet on himself. I should have died too. Oh, no. I should have died too. I still felt really bad for him, and I thought that those were some really powerful scenes. And it's amazing to me how invested I was in this stranger in the waiting room in the nanoseconds that we got to see him in the episode. It really was a remarkable turn by it, this guy's name is Tristan Tate. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's all three, really. It's, it's Tristan Tate, it's Dean Stockwell, and it's uh, Harvey Laidman's direction. That stuff in the waiting room, it's just shot so tightly. Um, I, I think it would raise up even an average performance, but the two actors are, are on top form there as well. So I'm going to gush about this, by the way. There, there's going to, there's just no, no going back here. They keep encountering mass murderers named Leon. Uh, <laughs> Who's that? The backstory. The guy that killed his his family yeah. and killed uh, all the people in the diner. Like that was uh, another guy named Leon. Yeah. Leon Styles Kowalski. Kowalski. If it had been Leon Styles, like you could tie it into the other episode, but did they get too fanficky? Maybe they were like, it's a little too complicated. (laughs) It does get a little bit complicated, even for Quantum Leap. I'm into it because, especially around this era of television, 
where people are like, please explain this to me. We can't have episodes connect with others because these are going to air separately. <laughs> we, ju- we just have to explain everything very, every single step to people. And this one, like, you got to know a lot of stuff. You got to understand the leaping concept, and then you got to understand the evil leapers, and then you got to understand the supercomputers in the <laughs> future, and then you got to understand, like, what's going on in the leap, and then what's in the waiting room, and what the hell Al is doing. <laughs> it's just very complicated. <laughs> yeah. This is for um, Quantum Leap fans. Yeah. This is not yes. for the casual person oh, jumping no. on to Quantum Leap. I mean, this is like watching Best of Both Worlds Part 2 and saying, <laughs> oh, yeah, you might have heard of Star Trek. Um, you know, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> I thought that was the captain. He's a Borg. I thought that was Sam. He's evil. What? But um, for all that, I think that this is the direction the show might have increasingly gone in if they had been a season six. Because I think with most shows, eventually they know that they're going to have a steady fan base that's their core fans. Because Mm. the buzz is over and maybe the audience starts shrinking. But that's when they get to have fun and actually give their fans weird different stuff to latch on to mm-hmm. and quantum leap was doing it in spades in season five i can't imagine season six being in the space bar if you didn't know what was going on it would have been like catching farscape <laughs> in the fourth season yeah. it's just like no i can't help you i just can't I, help it you. it would have been bonkers i don't know if it would be good but i just want to i want to leap into that timeline where they had the season six and just see how bonkers it would have been <laughs> i think it would have been a lot better for the fact that they would have had a, exactly like what you're saying, Chris, the, the, the reasons for doing this. They, they would have had the confidence that that's what they were going for and they were doing it for the fans and they were, yes, doing stuff a little bit more inaccessible to the casual audience. But season five is this kind of midpoint where they're really, you can feel that struggle between classic Quantum Leap and what would have been a new style. I think season six would have been stronger overall and if they were doing season six they would have known they weren't getting a season seven so they'd be like just do whatever (laughs) we're not getting any more than this like we have nothing to lose yeah let's do an episode that opens with scott saying here are some scenes from diaper monkey part one and then it goes into a trilogy of diaper (laughs) Diaper monkey Monkey we we were robbed of the diaper (laughs) monkey trilogy (laughs) oh i want to live in that world yes (laughs) but let me tell you this is this is where season five has brought me like just mentally when it comes to Quantum Leap. In the first act, I'm thinking they were talking about how Arnold saved this woman. He's like a walking miracle. Why, only last week, in the rain, uh, this guy decided to run in front of a speeding car. And save a fetching co-ed from certain death. The driver swore that he hit him. But then when he ran back, there's Arnold comforting the girl and yelling at him for driving too fast. He didn't have a scratch on him. I'm ready to believe Arnold has actual superpowers because that's <laughs> where Quantum Leap has been taking us this season steadily into more fantastic realms. And I know in the end, they don't go there. But I would be perfectly at ease with season five being season five with Arnold being an actual Superman because that's just season five. Oh, but the whole point, the whole point is that he wasn't a superhero. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. I know that. About, you know, like, you don't have to nearly kill yourself to do good. He had mm. this whole death wish. Yeah, I'm so glad that they went that way. But we didn't see any of that before we heard this whole thing about the Midnight Marauder being hit by a car and miraculously being unscathed. And I was thinking, are they going to bring it there? Because mm. I honestly did not remember a damn thing about Arnold in the waiting room. 
So all of that was new to me, rewatching this. <laughs> and it was a beautiful, lovely surprise that they actually grounded it into like a classic Quantum Leap kind of feel instead of going yet more gonzo. But I would have accepted either one of them. And that just is miles away from where you begin as a Quantum Leap fan. Just crazy. Can I throw something else uh, out here that I kind of uh, read from the episode that, that might be a little bit out there? Sure. So, like, um, the scenes with uh, with Sam as Arnold uh, with his roommate Jack, I kind of was reading some, like, gay subtext there. Really? The whole scene, <laughs> like, Jack is, like, doing up his bow tie for him. Which is like a little bit unusual. And they're like super close up. And he's like checking if it's like a girl that he's going on a date with. Arnold, it's a clip on. That was the only one I had. Uh, I'll let you borrow one of mine. Uh, yeah, this will do. Yeah. So, where are you going? Uh, study. You're gonna wear a tie to go study? Well, I have a date. Ah, oh, a date. A study date. Oh, all right. So, who's the uh, who's the lucky girl? Oh, it it is a girl, right? Yeah, it's a girl, all right. And he's like, "Hey, how do I look putting on the scarf?" Like, I don't know. It just kind of read like there was something going on between those two. See, I I picked up on. I mean, the, yeah, the 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 bit where he he yeah checks to see whether he's going on a date with a girl. I took that as being kind of representative of that sort of casual homophobia that you'd get in that kind of space. Just, yeah, are you gay? Sure. It just seemed like a very intimate scene to me. Yeah. You know, now that you guys are talking, though, about, Matt, you brought up the bringing in the super close-up shots Mm. in the waiting room. Now that I think back, I mean, a lot of the shots were really tight. There were shots between Sam and Aaliyah in the library when they're talking about maybe her getting away. Where they are, again, really super tight on Renee's face in a lot of it. And uh, I was watching this in like an ultra HD because I forgot to switch my TV back to like a more cinematic mode. And it looked, it was playing out like a soap opera to me because it was just so, it was so different from the cinematic feel that we usually get from Quantum Leap that I had to, uh, it was taking me out of the episode. I had to put it back into, you know, less, less defined picture <laughs> and after that it, it snapped back into place felt more like quantum leap and it's just weird how things can change you know do you feel like this was a a directorial choice or this was um a coverage thing like they just didn't have the time to do all of the coverage they wanted <sighs> considering that the episode is 25 minutes long <laughs> i'm thinking it's a coverage thing like there's like a scene in the scene in the library too like at the very end when uh, Aaliyah asks like well what if I leap first and they don't answer each other they cut to a close up of her from earlier in the scene against the bookcase which is really like, yeah like she shifts that. position yeah and it's like it's quick enough you might not notice but I did so it, there were some <laughs> coverage issues I think 
I wonder if that was to also, could it have been, I want, if we could go side by side and compare the 90 minute special or whatever, however long the special was for the events when it was airing, as opposed to how they had to cut it for syndication. I wonder if this one was just so short as its own episode that they maybe had to insert some kind of filler. Chris, Even Chris, though you're Chris. talking, what are you talking, a second? You're talking two seconds? <laughs> Chris, when I said there was no additional footage in this, do you not think that I literally line them up frame by frame i would have picked up on that i promise i'm so sorry <laughs> i stand corrected sir and I, I will never ever again question the wisdom and anal retentiveness of mr matthew dale it's, it's a fair point you would wonder but yeah I, I didn't i didn't put this together just by memory although i, I could have done um i did line the two up and did not spot anything well then yeah then that's just bad coverage hmm. it, it could have also happened during the editing like they were like the scene ends on sam just looking at Aaliyah, and they're like well, wouldn't it be we really need a shot of her but we don't have a shot of her but it would really like end the scene a little less abruptly and so they're like eh, just kind of throw this in here and it might work a little better <laughs> mm. that might also have been the issue on that scene in particular but yeah the the amount of close-ups now that you mention it i i did notice especially in the waiting room they're really tight on their faces, but it works for that scene in particular because yeah. it's a very emotional scene. For all of the stuff that we're talking about, this one felt like, I don't want to say quick and dirty, but as quick and dirty as Quantum Leap gets, this seemed to me to have a lot of season five restraints. The only thing that really stood out to me in this was the amazing costume design. I thought that all the costumes were incredible. Oh, yeah. Mm. This was uh, Jacqueline St. Anne. And, uh, yeah, they were great. But the sets were all generic. You know, you had, I think, what, maybe three sets? You had the library, you had the hallway, the outdoor hallway, and after that, the um, the dorm room, right? Hmm. And then everything else was just outside, like on a lot or yeah. something. You might as well be shooting The Walking Dead. Your set is the woods. <laughs> <laughs> It looked more expensive than Blood Moon did, though. I think they had some, like, better-looking sets there, and the outfits did seem authentic. They didn't seem cheap to me. Like, Aaliyah had this outfit with, like, this uh, pearl collar on it that seemed very authentic to the time. I liked Zoe's outfits, too, and I think, like, mm. Jacqueline St. Anne's future outfits could be kind of hit or miss, whether they seem to, like, fit with a... Uh, Jean-Pierre Dorliac's original vision, but um, I thought her outfits were great in this. I really loved the one uh, that she she first appears in. It's like this dress <laughs> that's kind of like faux nude underneath with like this bodysuit. It's really good. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but think of Diana Mulder in the original series. <laughs> Matt, you might know what I'm talking yes. about. <laughs> Wait, which? Is there in Truth No Beauty? I believe was the name of the episode mm. with the Medusan ambassador <laughs> that drives everybody crazy. He's just like lights in a box. Okay. And Diana Mulder wears like this chemise that's sort of transparent, just like mm. Zoe's. See, I thought you were talking about Pulaski at first and I'm like, this, I don't no. remember Pulaski wearing anything <laughs> like this. I would have remembered. <laughs> she's wearing a very similar looking getup, but it turns out that it's a sensor net because she's blind. So it helps her navigate the ship and navigate her surroundings. Mm. And um, it looked suspiciously like Zoe's outfit. So wait, is Zoe blind? There's a twist. <laughs> oh Maybe. my gosh, we have, we have nothing to prove she isn't. True. 
Uh, I also noticed with the the costumes, Al has this like uh, in his first scene with uh, with Arnold in the waiting room. There's like this weird wolf pig brooch slash bolo <laughs> tie thing that he's wearing. I've never been able to figure out what it is, but it's fun. Yeah, I thought he looked excellent too. Uh, aside from the the period stuff, I thought all Dean's outfits were they were like popping in this. He was wearing one of his like uh one of his fun like 90s sweater vests under his jacket at one point. <laughs> I didn't look that far. I was too dazzled by the jackets themselves, I guess, but a very yellow episode for him. Let's see yellows. I mean, I, I knew we'd like to usually keep the uh the fashion for later in the show, but when it's the only thing that really grounds you in the period of the episode. This is a case where if there was no 50s clothes, it could have taken place at any point in time. I guess the cars are a giveaway too, but, you know, take away the clothes in the cars and you don't really have anything to, to link you to the 50s. It just happened to take place in the 50s. This could have easily taken place in the 90s. They're still hazing today. You tell me what's with this freaking fraternity where <laughs> at the end with the race and – We'll get to Neil Patrick Harris as a dick in a second. <laughs> but what about his crony saying, I'll take care of it. Don't sweat it. They cut the freaking brake lines yeah. on Arnold's car. <laughs> They're going to kill people and there's no consequence. <laughs> Casual murder. <laughs> well, um, Zoe did say that like his life was kind of ruined now. So I guess Sam didn't fix that. So I guess like the evil leapers accidentally did some good in that case. <laughs> but like they're worried about the Dean shutting them down because of drag racing. Uh, do you think they're going to keep you open when somebody plunges off a cliff into a ravine? If, uh, if they can say that like Arnold did it because it was one of his stupid stunts, they could cover for this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how good of a cover it would be, but that might've been a thought. I think there's going to be some kind of forensic investigation of the car and you see that the brake lines are cut. In the fifties. I don't know, man. I don't know about the forensics in the fifties. Well, were they stupid in the fifties? <laughs> <laughs> They can't tell if a brake line's been cut. <laughs> so that's why it had to be said in the 50s. There we go. Do you think that officer that we saw in this episode is going to, like, get any of this done? I don't think so. You think Officer Irish McIrish? I think that was his name. You can thank God that I didn't see you racing those crates, huh? Or you'd all be bunking in the jail tonight. <laughs> oh, I love him. How <laughs> <laughs> was the accent on that one, Matt? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I think he was he was going to be a cartoon Irish cop on the first two lines, and then they throttled back from it somehow. It's like his accent kept changing. <laughs> he sounded like Lucky Charms, and then he did. <laughs> Enough of that. All of you. Let's break it up. I understood the fraternity. Like, it was kind of a one-dimensional evil fraternity in this episode. But um, what I didn't understand was what the hell Zoe's plan was. So Sam and Aaliyah are talking and they decide that they're going to work together in this. And then like they leave the library and we see Zoe there like <laughs> delicious. <laughs> like she has some sort of plan now that she knows that they're in on it. And then she shows up and does nothing different. She doesn't do anything. She's just playing the game, seeing what might happen. I guess if there's an opportunity to kill Sam. Yeah, but she seems like she's smirking when she shows up next to Sam and she's like, ha ha ha, no one's going to help you now. Like, 
okay, so, but what's changed? It's not like Aaliyah's doing anything now. She knows Aaliyah's not, not doing the original plan. She's just smirking like they have come up with something that they don't know about. And then they do nothing. Like, and then, she, then when they like jump out of the car the last second, she seems like surprised that they jumped out of the car <laughs> that they knew was going to go over the cliff. And then is like, ah, get her out of here, Lothos. But, but like, that wasn't the plan. What was the plan? I, I I don't know. I hadn't even considered this until you brought it up. And maybe don't ask me these questions, Matt. You've watched this episode how many times? Uh, 200. So parse the logic for us, please. It's your favorite episode. Defend it. Um, I sorry. I was I was going somewhere else while you were having that discussion. Sorry. Um, what's 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 your issue? Sum, summarize it for me, and I'll argue it. Okay, Matt. What is what is Zoe's plan when she discovers that that uh, Aaliyah and Sam are in on it together, and then she shows up all smirky smirk? What does she do that they don't know about? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm with. I, I think what you guys were saying that you know, maybe like she knows that some it's it's a dangerous race. Maybe she knows the brake lines are being cut. She's quite happy for them to die. Yeah, but she knows that Sam has Al to tell him that. Yeah, yeah, but maybe you know, maybe she's she's saying, well, this could solve all our problems. We can get rid of the traitorous Aaliyah yeah. and get rid of the good Doctor Beckett. That doesn't make sense with part two though, because part two. She you mean seems- part three? Part three. I'm sorry. Part part two and a half. Uh, um, yeah, I don't. It doesn't really make sense with what she says there, and we know that did air alongside this as one part, so that's just not consistent to me. Well, I hmm. yeah, I hadn't even considered it up to this point because I was thinking about okay, how does double leaping work? Because I know a double leap is coming up. So what are the logistics of? And as you said, Allison, this whole leap plot was just a means to an end anyway we knew that we were going to be going elsewhere mm. yeah um without any real resolution sam's guess where he's just like maybe we can leap out of here together what? maybe if we're close if we're holding on to each other when i leap then just maybe be- because we're the same maybe we can leap together i think maybe you'll leap with me if we're touching when i'm leaping out and then he's right like based on nothing Right, because show. Well, that mm, mm, mm. okay. We can we can retcon that. So yeah, no, I know that the as perfect as this episode is for me, um, the the one bit that does make me cringe is is Sam saying maybe because we're the same if we're touching. <laughs> what? Where the hell did that come from? But no, um, spoilers. Uh, leapers can leap themselves, so they're holding each other. But that's got nothing to do with why they actually leap together. It's because unconscious Aaliyah is subconsciously trying to leap herself with Sam while Lothos is also fighting to try and leap her out as well. So she she is able to control that. And it might be a symbol of her shifting from being evil to being good. So uh, somehow she's become good in between Evil Leaper 1 and Evil Leaper 2. That's There seems to be some stuff that's gone on there because she has she has gone under a bit of a transformation. But that transformation doesn't finish until the end of this episode where she makes the decision subconsciously to leap into the, the prison just to be with Sam. I love it. There is a struggle going on there. Um, and I didn't get this until reading the script that like when they're touching each other, the lights are kind of like fighting each other for control. Yeah. So there's like the red mm-hmm. and the blue uh, leap light 
kind of fighting with. And Al does say some lines like, yeah, fight it, Sam. Lothos, call Aaliyah out now. So I think, I mean, that makes sense that both of them are kind of fighting for, well, I mean, Nalia's fighting for control to like leap where she wants to leap. It still doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but <laughs> it's a cool effect. I'm sure it was the intention when they wrote the script. And like you say, it is a cool effect and it wouldn't have worked if they'd have been separated. But in a kind of the the in-universe explanation for me and my, my in-head explanation is that, yeah, they, they could have been sat half a mile apart and it's that still would have happened. But it looks so much better with them holding each other. And they, I'm sure, hadn't thought of that that line in Mirror Image at that point. So, yeah, I guess that made sense at the time. I think the thing that um, about uh, Aaliyah's transformation in this episode, um, I think it comes from the struggle she had at the end of her first episode, because she was saying like, you know, I don't want to go back and kill those people. And they, like, and, um, Zoe was talking about how they were tortured and they climbed their way up and, and all of this stuff. And I think just seeing Sam doing good and in this episode reinforcing that Sam doing good um she's just had a lot of time to reflect on that and she sees someone just like her who doesn't have to do this like someone that understands her and that's what really is like started to change her mind into like maybe she can change and maybe there is a way out of this and um I I absolutely love and I'm really glad that they cut the ending of the original, uh, the either first episode where like Sam is like pointing the gun at her because <laughs> that kind of undercuts all of this. But after all of that, Sam sees Aaliyah within like two seconds. He's like, I gotta help this person. I gotta yeah. get her out of this. Like, you can get out of this. And he sees the good in, in this person who's done so many horrible things. And that's just such a great moment for Sam's character. Yeah. And it's he's always been that kind of naively optimistic person, and that's what we love about him. But this is surely, yeah, the 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 most we ever see this in the show. Because he's not given any like info this time around. It's not like Al's like you need to help this person, and like eventually, if they turn their life around, this will happen. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just like, I see that there's some good in this person, and I need to try and help. Yeah. Also, I see this person is suffering. Yeah. Mm. We can't undersell Renee's contribution to that dynamic because I thought that she was wonderful in this yes. episode. Yeah. yeah. Just with a look or a smile or um, when she's talking to Sam in the library, she doesn't know it's Sam yet. And he's just talking about being a general good guy because he's Sam Beckett. And she's just like, you remind me of someone. Clark Kent. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. I-, I can't place who, but I think it's wonderful that you help people. She really sold that aspect of it, even when she was given lines like, it was worse than death. Well, what's worse than death? What the hell is going on back at that project with Lothos? I really wish we could have explored that a little bit more. We had scenes in the waiting room back at Project Quantum Leap. Why not have scenes in their waiting room? Mm. They only had one blue screen. They can't yeah. they can't film the <laughs> <laughs> evil leaper stuff. It would have been a red screen at Lotha. 
I think the leap out at the end when they appear in the prison and they're just in a dark dungeon, I think that was like, you were supposed to wonder, oh no, like, is this where the evil leapers right. are? Is this what's mm-hmm. worse than death? I think like for a second, you're supposed to believe like maybe it was the bad leap. That's interesting. I I don't think I ever did. And I did remember that part three takes place in the woman's prison. So I know that they're in the prison, but going into it cold, I, it never even occurred to me, but that's an excellent sort of connection that you might make. Mm. Hmm. I think this is really good because um, having read that uh, that Batman version of the script and some other oh, evil no. send that to me. I, I need that. I need that <laughs> oh, in my life. Oh, you don't. <laughs> like, what strikes me about those is the endings are always bad. Aaliyah usually dies at the ending of these uh, original scripts, and they kept her around, and they, they changed her character. And I think it's so much more interesting than, yeah. like, evil Mwahaha that gets killed. It's like, she's stuck in this situation. And to an extent, Zoe is, too, um, from what they've alluded to. So it's really, like, not as black and white as the show could have been about it. I think that Carolyn, though, really relished playing into the evil part. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. She went, she was forced into this, but she, like, she made her decisions past a certain yeah. point. Yeah. You know, Zoe is full on evil now. She decided to take the worst path. Better to rule in hell, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And it's nice that we get to see that change up a little bit in the next episode. And we'll get there with that and just sort of the way that they play with these characters. You know, that's how she got into management. Is being like full on evil, right? That's how you get to be an observer. <laughs> you work your way up. <laughs> gotcha. You fail upwards. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't gonna just let any schmuck be an observer at that project. They got Lothus has got stuff, you know? They don't want them getting all up in their business. They also they have a line in in the episode where um they're talking about Lothos and like uh Aaliyah's wondering why uh, Arnold hasn't shown up for the steady date yet and she's like, Well, uh, Lothos is supposed to know everything. Oh well he does, but there's something else going on here. What what all does Lothos know? Maybe Lothos is just a computer like Ziggy, but they fooled them into thinking it's some sort of all seeing kind of thing. Like maybe they don't know exactly what it is. It's interesting. Hmm. Lothos is the Wizard of Oz, is what you're telling us. Don't look behind the curtain. Hmm. Yeah, there's got to be someone else, because it's not like the computer just sprung out of nowhere. I really would have loved to see, like, what is Lothos? Because Ziggy doesn't make all of the decisions. There's got to be someone else. Lothos is like Control in Discovery Season 2. <laughs> hmm. Lothos <laughs> is like the um, 2001 Space Odyssey, you know? like Hal. <laughs> yeah. But Hal wasn't evil. Hal was just confused. Maybe that's the same with Lothos, right? Yeah. Lothos isn't evil. It's a computer. It's just doing what it's told to do. I wonder if Lothos would sing Daisy if we tried to kill it. <laughs> is it is it a hybrid computer like Ziggy? Maybe someone put their DNA into it, and mm-hmm. then it was an evil person. So that's what evil made Lothos DNA, evil. Right? Yeah, evil DNA. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole but that that brings up though nature versus nurture. That means that some people are born evil, as opposed to that goes against everything that quantum leap stands for. What? Maybe it was someone who wasn't born evil, but they became extra evil with time, you know. And then like, but DNA is separate. No. DNA can then be evil. Is yeah, it like osmosis. It, okay, but what if the DNA made Lothos like personality wise like the person because they were part them or something? 
So it could be, it wasn't the, it was the neurons and mesons. It was the neurons and mesons and then the <laughs> connection with the, <laughs> the neural connection. It went to the evil part of the, the neurons, right? They, they scooped out the evil center of the brain. Yeah. You know that evil center of the brain? The brain does have that well-known evil. It's documented. The evil center of the brain. The evil cortex. <laughs> I really hope we're going to talk about Mirror's Edge one day. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I just, I love thinking about how this evil project works because there's so much that we never know. Yeah. And these two episodes are really good for giving us little tidbits that you can branch off of and imagine what they actually mean by these lines. Because there's stuff in, in part two as well that Zoe says. It's like, what what happened there? What is this? When you mean you mean part three. You part, mean part three. Oh, sorry. Part three. You keep confusing me. Look, this is part one and part two, return and revenge. <laughs> That's what it is. No it's one part thinks two that, and part three, return no and revenge. No one thinks these are like Star Wars episode whatever. New Hope is episode seven. No one thinks this. <laughs> Allison, allow me to introduce myself. I'm no one. Pleased to meet you. Do you think of them like episode seven is the first one? Of what? Of Star Wars. Episode seven is the seventh one. Yeah, episode seven is the seventh one. That's the easy one. That's when everything starts being chronological. Yeah, so I don't know what you see. So you, you don't know your Star Wars. Oh, whatever. I don't know what numbers they are. Do you think of <laughs> New Hope as not the first one? <laughs> no, uh, because it's called Star Wars, not New Hope. Sorry, number one. Oh, okay. sorry. The, the Trek is, Wars. It is the first one, <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion. Okay. Anyway. Whatever. This doesn't matter. <laughs> I know it doesn't. <laughs> it's fun arguing with you. <laughs> What I want to know is, was this Neil Patrick Harris's return to television after Doogie Howser, and was he just a good actor wasted in a bad role, or just doing a really, really shitty job as Mike? <laughs> uh, hi, hang on. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> what? I don't um, think he did a <laughs> shitty job. I, I think that people probably gave him a hard time because he was playing against type. This was before his big comeback. He, it wasn't until, like, Harold and Kumar... That, like, Neil Patrick Harris got out of, like, the Doogie Hauser box that he was stuck in. So this was probably a really big deal. And, like, I think, especially because this was, I'm sure, a stunt casting for season five. They're like, here is a name that you know. I think he did a pretty good job. And, like, it, yeah. it is what it's supposed to be. He's, he's an actual fraternity guy. And I really love when, like, he's talking to Sam and he's like, get this through your twisted head you need to da, 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 like threatens him and then sam's like yeah we'll twist on this pal yeah we'll twist on this pal <laughs> so this um just just to expand on allison's point about it this being years before his comeback this aired about three or four weeks before the doogie hauser series finale he was still doogie you're kidding me. Yeah, Doogie went on for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He became an adult during the course of Doogie Hauser. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really a Doogie Hauser fan, so I know nothing about it. Oh, I love Doogie Hauser. But it, this this strikes me as, yeah, stunt casting from, from Quantum Leap's perspective, but from his perspective, a very early opportunity to try and shake off the, uh, the typecasting that he must have known as a child actor he was going to get stuck in those kind of roles. So he, I'm sure was uh, grateful for that kind of role to to stretch a little bit. But then, yeah, he did spend uh, many years making um, fairly bland appearances until Harold and Kumar when that, that was when he really got to reinvent himself. 
In fact, actually, I just realised I, I was uh, unintentionally, I was paraphrasing Scott Bakula in 1996 when he did say Neil welcome the chance to play someone so strikingly different from Doogie Howser ah well there you go Scott made that observation as well and don't get me wrong I think Neil Patrick Harris is funny as hell and every interview I've ever heard with him he seems to be like a really just super grounded good guy and he just he scoffs at the notion of Hollywood he's just like this business is so arbitrary and capricious yeah there's no reason I should be standing here but I am and I guess he knows because he had his lean years or whatever. And I like him. I, I'm not down in Neil Patrick Harris. Just so any NPH fans out there, you know, don't, don't, don't at me. I'm sorry. I wonder if it is fair to say that between Doogie and Quantum Leap and um, uh, Harold and Kumar were his lean years because we clearly forgot about Starship Troopers, which I remember when that came out. And I was like, oh, my God, Doogie Howser's back and he's on the big screen. That's amazing. I, I think people panned Starship Troopers, though, didn't they? I don't think that was like until later that people appreciated what they were trying to do with it. I was at uni in my first year when that came out on DVD, and um, that that was definitely a uh, two o'clock in the morning, everyone getting drunk and or stoned, uh, <laughs> adoring that film. That was going around our halls and uh, doing very good business. As far as Neil Patrick Harris goes, uh, anyone who can make it out of child stardom alive and have that comeback, and I'm sure Dean Stockwell relates to this, he's listening, um, <laughs> I think like that's something to be admired, because it's still a work in progress as far as how child stars are treated. I used to be a doctor for pretend. So what is it with Sam psychosynergizing with Arnold? In the sense that he's reciting Arnold's mantra as if mm. it's like the introduction to an old-timey radio show. The Midnight Marauder knows all, sees all, tells nothing. Oh, Oftentimes no. he... What? <laughs> yes. It's sort of half there and half not. And I've had this problem with some other stuff because they just don't have time for it. There was a lot of this in season five. There was a lot more mind merging. And this does factor into the plot. Because that's what gets him uh, in that second hazing uh, thing. And there must have been something cut there. Because it feels weird that, like, the end of the scene, it's like, Sam, you didn't even need to come. Like, it, they yeah. would have been fine. And then the next scene, it's like, they chased me and now I'm here. <laughs> what? <laughs> something happened. It was a total mess. Uh, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, the logical through line for the story, for the leap plot, is just not there. It just seems to be a series of random scenes strung together between the Evil Leaper stuff. And I think they're counting on us being so focused on the Evil Leaper stuff that we're just sort of going along for the ride with the hazing stuff. The superhero stuff is like so secondary. And then once the Evil Leaper stuff is introduced, it's just gone. Yeah. I mean, it, it factors into Arnold's plot. And that's still a very good scene with, with him and Al. But if you're going to pitch this as like Sam's a superhero, like that was the leap out with Sam in a superhero outfit on a car, you're going to be a little disappointed because that's not really what it's about. Well, I mean, we can say that about a lot of leap-ins, I think. That's true. <laughs> yeah. They do bait and switch in this show a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's so much better than that it would have been with the like Batman thing going on. So I think this was the way <laughs> to go with this. Yes, for sure. I thought it was interesting. Uh, this is, I think, one of only two times that we see someone leaping in mid-scene. Yeah. Because, like, uh, that's when Aaliyah leaps in. And for the longest time, I was confused. I thought it was because she and Sam shook hands. We saw who 
we were supposed to see, but it was actually it was supposed to be her leaping in. Right. And I thought that that they were changing up the dynamic that they established in Jimmy, even though they had just shown in reprise Connie and Jimmy touching and them morphing. I thought that maybe they weren't going to do the morphing. And then I realized that they were lingering so much on the handshake, like an insert shot of the hands touching and in the library, too, before she got to know that it was Sam. They were going to shake hands and then they dropped the books. Hmm. It was almost like, ah, oh, you get it. Oh, we're gonna, we're we're skirting close. And there we, oh, 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 almost, almost. Oh, oh, she just leaped in. He just missed her. You know, I love, I love about that is like when they find out that it's uh, Sam. Zoe's like, hey, Leah, don't touch him. You can't touch him. Otherwise, this is gonna ruin the whole plan. And then the very next scene, immediately he touches her and he finds out. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there was like very little attempt to. Not- She's like right up close to. She didn't need to walk up there to do that. She wanted to be touched. Y- yeah, she. You know, subconsciously she wanted to be she, found out. Yeah, no, I think consciously she wanted to. She wanted to be like Sam, rescue me. <laughs> I think that she wanted him to know that she was there. She just had to have him do it so that in case Zoe was watching, it looked accidental. Hmm. Sure, and maybe she saw it as her chance. Like Zoe wasn't anywhere around, so. I, I think that she had the presence of mind to be thinking, if he knows that it's me, maybe we can do something together. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, mm-hmm. I'm giving her too much credit. Um, no, I, I mean, I think she gets a little bit more to – that's not true. I was going to say in part two, but she kind of gets sidelined in that a little bit too. But um, Oh, totally. Yeah. But she does have, like, some lines about this. It makes sense to say, like, subconsciously or consciously. She was like, this was a plan on her part to get out of this. But again, it just, like, I just don't think, like, 30-some minutes is enough for all of these elements, even though this is a two-parter. Like, there's just so much crammed into this. But it's funny because they had so much extra time. I mean, with all the damn padding in this, they could have taken some time to breathe. Yeah. Was this, like, the first act like in uh, the pilot, how like, well, I guess the pilot is kind of the opposite. The third act is really the baseball thing. But then like the first two acts are the other stuff. So splitting it into two, it's a little bit weird. I found it very strange that we were in that prison for so long after they left. And it was almost like, all right, they really did not have a lot to do with this college plot, did they? They were banking everything on this prison plot, which mm. is what got me to think about this whole thing being a middle installment and suffering from the unique problems of middle installments. Because they eventually have to bring the story somewhere, but they have to get out of that middle installment setting to do so. I mean, it, it might have sprung from this being scripted as a single part film. Mm-hmm. But then again, when Trilogy, they had part two and three aired as a a singular part like it was Mm. still pretty split down the middle as far as what the story was but it might have been they were scripting this just as a big event movie and then once they got past that act they're like this is when we get into this yeah but then it's it's odd that they they have different writers for Return and Revenge. Oh. I'm not going to call them parts two and three. What oh, I well, say. then forget what I said. <laughs> I don't know then. <laughs> no, no, but I, I mean, clearly it was it was all conceived like that. They were obviously plotted to air back to back or as a movie. But um, the fact that they had different directors, different writers, you would expect them to be more even. And I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't. It, it does feel like the the last part of this, the stuff in the prison, there's just a, a lot of stuff there that could have given extra time towards the um, college plot. 
and they could get away with that in the first broadcast, but then they had to add the padding in for syndication. Well, it's also possible that when they were editing this together, they had both episodes, and they were like, this stuff is stronger in the prison, so they cut out stuff from the uh, superhero stuff that, like, even airing as one part or splitting them in half, you wouldn't insert those back in, so... yeah. True. Matt, you're the king of outtakes and alternate takes, and I couldn't help but notice in the end credits of this, because they were so long, <laughs> there was a scene, the scene in the library between Sam and Aaliyah when they're sitting at the table. It was basically like an establishing shot. It was a wide shot. And they're sitting at the table, and they knock over the... First, they touch hands. You can actually yes. see them touch yeah. hands, <laughs> which is why I think they did an insert shot of them missing hands <laughs> close up in the actual one before they cut to it but renee is just laughing her ass yes. off <laughs> i love that so that had to be an outtake yeah i agree but i, I remember when I, f I first saw this i didn't pick up on that um i think it was only would have only been when i saw it on dvd again years later i don't recall noticing that that was obviously an outtake it just looks like she's laughing and then yeah you you watch it back again and go hang on a second yeah there's that kind of there's like a a, a bit of a smile in the episode and then she she just she loses it but it, it's odd because you think if they're gonna so obviously put an outtake in they would make it really obviously an outtake like have have the audio of the laughter playing so you can hear the crew also cracking up or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see more outtakes. There was one part of the episode that I I felt like they cut away before they started laughing. Like when uh Sam's talking to Al in the dormitory like after uh the, like their first meetup uh, at the very end like Al tells him something about like don't do something or don't screw something up and then like <laughs> Sam goes like oh th thank you and then Al says, you're welcome. But the way that it's delivered, it it feels like Dean Stockwell just added that in. And then they had to, like, <laughs> really abruptly cut away before they started laughing. And then there's kind of this insert of, like, a dubbed over, like, Scott Bakula line to kind of cover for it. <laughs> if you look back at the scene, it's it's weird. It just seemed like a Dean Stockwell improv. Because any, like, any improv that I've seen in, like, outtakes, it's kind of a delivery that he does. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're right with your initial impression, Allison, that they were just lacking coverage in this episode. Maybe they just didn't shoot enough. Maybe. I'm going to find the exact time. I'm going to ask you guys to look at it and see if it seems like it to you. This is very important. <laughs> While she was searching for that, Matt, what was your the thing you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I just I wanted to go back because you brought it up a couple of times, Chris, and I, I don't have a solid argument for this, but I still want to contest it. This notion that it suffers for being the middle part of a trilogy. For me, I, I, I've i never felt like it was the middle half of a trilogy. I think because I've always, even when it was broadcast, and in the UK it was broadcast as if in syndication, it was across two weeks. To me, I saw this as the, the first half of a movie that happened to be a sequel to a previous episode. And it's a subtle delineation it's not one I can put any kind of logic around. It's just in my gut, this does not feel like the middle part of a trilogy. It feels like there's enough new stuff starting up here. Yes, it's a sequel, but it's saying, right, okay, you remember all this stuff that happened before? Now we're starting this up again. And yeah, it doesn't end because it's just the first half of a movie. And if you're going to review the first half of any movie, you'd always feel like it ends at a bit of a, all right, there's a, a cliffhanger moment here. We want to know what happens next. And if, if we, you know, we, we made the decision as the podcast team not to take this as a single movie and we've, we've chosen to split this apart. And I don't think either part 
is a full episode in itself, but I find this, the first half, slightly stronger than the second half uh, for a variety of reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about next time. But hmm. yeah, it, it's just never crossed my mind that this is the middle part of a trilogy. I will give you that. You're right. This is more of a sequel than a continuation. Yeah. And I know that seems subtle, but the thing is, I think with a continuation, and maybe this is one of the other problems when I bring up that whole issue with middle parts, is like one of the, the chief complaints about them is they can't stand on their own. They're dependent on what came before, and they have to stop in deference of what's going to happen after. So you're right. This is much more of like a Ghostbusters 2 as opposed to the two towers. Yes. Not to invoke Ghostbusters 2 because that, that sucked. But, <laughs> but I see the distinction you're making and I stand corrected 100%. You're right on that. If we keep this in the Quantum Leap universe, the trilogy trilogy is a single plot line running right through three episodes with a whole group of collected characters. Whereas this is a completely separate episode to Deliverers from Evil that has two characters popping up again. So as much as I wouldn't consider Deliverers from Evil to be Jimmy Part 2, I don't consider this to be Deliverers from Evil, the second of three parts. That's maybe the closest I can come to logical. I stand corrected. I think you're absolutely right. And um, it's better for me to think of it that way. Mm. I think then I can enjoy it a little bit more on its own merits then. Yeah, you're right. That'd be like assuming that Deliverers from Evil is Jimmy Part 2. It's just not. It's yeah. just using some of the same elements. Mm. So, Brilliant. Did you find your spot, Allison? I did. And I was looking at the script, too, to see what actually happened. I think this is like less of a cutaway before a laugh and more about cutting a line out. So go to like nine and a half minutes into the episode. Okay, just a second. You're hilarious. You think like I can just do that. <laughs> well, Matt can do it. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely do it. I just uh, right nine and a half minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nine and a half minutes. So he says, um, Al's like, Don't lift your leg on the family tree again, please. Thank you. You're welcome. What am I worried about anyway? In the script, they don't have the thank you or you're welcome. It's just, we're not sure, but try not to lift your leg on the family tree again. And then Sam says, why should I worry about him? Do 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 do. And there is like a, a weird cut. It's like the, the moment that Sam finishes saying, he says, you're welcome. And then Sam or Scott starts to say something else, but there's a line, what am I worrying about, which is dubbed over, but the first syllable or so is visible on that cut and you can't see what he's saying. But he's not saying what the audio is saying. Yeah, I don't even know what's going on here. It's it's a weird cut, though. There's an 80-yard line over the cuts, and the second after the cut, you see Sam coming onto the screen, so you can't you wouldn't be able to see what he's saying, but just before the cut, he starts to say something. All right. Was this a Richard Oakey episode? Yeah. It is, yeah. All right. So when we have Rick back on for Leap Between the States, we have to ask him if there were issues with coverage with the production of this episode. Because mm. there's just too many wonky things. Would he know as the script writer, though? Because oh, you got to think that he might have been on set at some point and just being involved in season five. He seems like he was pretty involved. He was like their new guy. Yeah. I just think if anybody had any insight, he he might. That's all. I mean, my my best guess would be that because this was season five, they had like less budget and less time. 
which is why uh, I think season five does have a lot more like close-ups and less coverage in general, because if you look at the aesthetic of a season five episode versus something in season one or two or three, I feel like it does look a lot different and you do get a lot more varied shots because they just had more time. I know there was a different way of processing the uh, the coloring on the episodes as well. Uh, Skipper was talking to me about that. So um, they were more like, they were more dangerous about it because they were just doing it on their first prints, which made yeah, them look a lot on cleaner. The masters. Yeah, on the yeah. masters. So if you screwed it up, it's just screwed up. Um, but they do look a lot more colorful and a lot nicer, even on the like old NBC DVDs before they'd, they'd uh, scanned the new masters. So yeah, there is an aesthetic difference. And I think part of the way things were shot was definitely affected when it became, uh, as those clapboards said, quantum light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for all that, um, I guess maybe if you don't mind, maybe I, I'll use that to springboard into my final thoughts on this one because I've been out of notes for about 20 minutes now. <laughs> I don't fault this episode for its shortcomings because I know that they were in season five. There was probably a time crunch. There was definitely a money crunch. They just did not have the horses that they did in the earlier seasons to make the grand cinematic gestures that they were able to make in the earlier seasons. But at the same time, I think – a concept as big as this deserved better treatment, a more cinematic treatment, more story delivery, just a better punch when it came to fleshing out this really intriguing idea about evil leapers. Instead, we get a perfunctory leap. We get some really great stuff with the leapy in the waiting room, but another cheap set. It's just the blue screen. <laughs> and they did the best with what they had. And it's an entertaining episode. But for all that, I really think that I come away thinking what might have been with this episode, because I think it could have been something phenomenal. I think it could have been something that was just like truly great. And uh, as it stands, it's just pretty good. And that's good enough. I just wish that they had whatever mechanism in place to be able to do it justice and make it great. Yeah, I think like, this is good as a uh, continuing story, the Evil Leaper stuff. Individually, I, I think it could have used more time, but that's not their fault. That's just how television and however this was set up goes. Uh, so I still think that it's a good episode. I enjoyed rewatching it, and I enjoy the Evil Leaper stuff even more with time. Once I get time to like process all of Quantum Leap and like individually look at the different aspects of it, and I think this was it was really cool. And Matt, since this is your favorite episode, we're going to give you the final word. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I love this, and um, nothing either of you guys has said has uh, has taken that away. I, I think it's got so many good elements in it. It's got a, a real sense of fun. Yes, the um, the the superhero stuff is silly, but they they do have fun with it. There's some genuinely humorous moments with that stuff. Um, there's there's the the brilliant stuff in the waiting room. There's some very emotional, heavy stuff as well. You know, for for the fact that it is basically a 35 minute leap. And yes, I I wish they'd have filled out the whole 45 minutes properly. But for the fact that it's only a 35 minute leap, they pack a lot of different stuff in there successfully. I, I love the fact that it's doing something that Quantum Leap does not do enough of, but is starting to be to be bold at doing during the fifth season, which is starting to build on the lore 
and having returning characters and actually growing and developing and seeing where it's going to take us next. So, yeah, we, we kind of talked about this being arguably the middle part of a trilogy or at least kind of a continuing plot line that doesn't have an end. But it's a continuing plot line that interests me and the, the changes that Aaliyah goes through in this episode is fabulous. It's exciting. I love Neil Patrick Harris. I, all the, the actors in it are great. I just, yeah, so, so much good stuff about this. This, this is my, if I can't choose an episode to watch, this is the one that I'll just put on and just chill out to and enjoy. And it keeps me happy. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I'm so happy we got to your favorite episode. Mm. Oh, this makes me feel good. So, all right, everyone, we are done with our discussion about Return of the Evil Leaper, but there's much more to come. So stay tuned. After the break, we'll be bringing you our interview with Carolyn Seymour, who played Zoe. And I'll also tell you about my brush with Renee Coleman. So stay right there. We'll see you on the flip side. On the latest episode of Fangin. It's what we talk about when we're not talking about Quantum Leap. I spend far too much of my free time and money standing next to celebrities and having a photo taken. I discovered the TV show Community. It was a kind of influential uh, horror movie called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Many people have seen the photo of me trying to kiss David Duchovny. He was famous for doing the Boggy Creek movies. Oh yes, the Boggy Creek movies. Have you heard of it? Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> you guess. <laughs> Matt Bale, friend to Billy Piper. That's the darkest timeline. I'm glad I met the only other person that doesn't like they live. Why is the mass killer playing a trombone? Laser fart. Chakotay just needs a biro. Natalie is freezing. There was definitely a Fermi panty going on. Concepts are fluid around here, folks. Anything goes. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. There's coffee in that nebula. <laughs> You knew it was Janeway, so it can't have been that bad. Hi, this is Richard Oakey, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. So, as Chris promised at the top of the episode, we're going to hear again the uh, the Carolyn Seymour interview, which uh, Albie ran some time ago. Uh, it's a fabulous interview, so uh, any opportunity to listen to that again. Thank you for joining us today on the uh, Quantum Leap podcast. No, sure, entirely welcome. My pleasure. Could you tell me about your experience filming Quantum Leap, the four different episodes? Quantum Leap was probably one of my favorite shows to do, uh, partly because I was a huge fan of Dean Stockwell, and also because I adored watching Scott Bakula work. You know, he he just was so professional, and he was so good at what he did, and he just... He was just extraordinary, and I, I loved I loved being with them, and they, they were such fun. I mean, Scott was very professional, and Dean was very funny, so we had we had a great time on the shoots. It was I mean, Dean was always late. He always had his cigar. He was always saying, "What are we doing? Where are we? What what scene is it?" And and it just it, it relaxed everybody really because then the focus was on him, and of course he knew exactly what he was doing. So. You know, but it was it was just great fun. I loved playing that character. I loved Renee Coleman, and uh, we we just had a great time. And Belisario was really good to me on that shoot. I mean, he he had his moments, but he on that shoot he left me alone. I don't mean that. 
you know, I don't mean that in a salacious way. I mean, he just, you know, he could be very hands-on as a producer. And by then he trusted me, so he let me be. Did uh, the first episode of Quantum Leap You Do help you get the role of Zoe later on? Um, I don't know. I, You know, I have no idea. Um, all I know is that that was the most uncomfortable scene I've ever shot, sitting in that water and being submerged, and then having to come up. It was just, it was just a horrendously uncomfortable, you know, episode. But um, I got on very well with Deborah Pratt, and we became sort of friends then. And I think that sort of helped a bit. I've no idea. I mean, I'd worked with Belisario before. I'd done a couple of Magnum PIs, and uh, I knew that he was saving me for something else. And so it was just, I mean, it was just really nice. I mean, you, you, you know, in those days. You met a producer and you created a relationship with them and then they would offer you stuff out of the blue, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what happened and it was just really nice. I think it came more from what I did on Magnum than, than, than you know, from drowning, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were also a, kind yeah. of a scary ghost at the end there. I was, I was. I've taken several scary ghosts, really. I mean, evil is what I do, I'm known for, so... You know, evil, strong, powerful, domineering, all of those, and and or, and or murderers. Do you like playing uh, evil people? Of course. I mean, they're much more they're they're much more interesting to play, and and I've always loved them. I've always loved them, but I've played a lot of them in England. I used to play much nicer people, and when I got to the states, it turned into evil. Because Murder She Wrote, I did four of those. I did a, I did three Father Dowlings, and uh, you know, I mean, I that's all I did was kill people <laughs> and get paid for it. And then Lacey, I mean, I just kill people. Or, or and then when I when I went into the alien work, um, you know, I was just a, a leader. Interesting, huh? Do you get recognized more at conventions from uh, Star Trek or from Quantum Leap or something else? No, Star Trek, always Star Trek. Always Star Trek. Uh, Tureff is one of their favorites, and then closely followed by Miraf to Yale, the scientist. But Tureff is their favorite. I like Tureff, too. I thought she was really good. I loved Miraf to Yale. That was uh, really good in the episode First Contact of Next Generation. Really good character. It uh, sticks in your mind. Was Is that more like you than... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm not sure my children might disagree with you, but I'd like to think that I was more like Miraf than I am Commander Tureff. But... Uh, it was, I, those, they, were, they were fascinating things to do. I mean, you know, on one hand, it was just a job, and I was really lucky, and they called me back four times. But on the other hand, it was always fascinating to do, because at the time, when, when I did it, I had no idea that it was going to turn into this sort of thing afterwards, these, the, you know, the conventions and all of that. I had no idea. Was the makeup work hard to do? Was that difficult, being in makeup? makeup the makeup work was an absolute sod. You know, you, I got there at 3.30 in the morning, ready to shoot by 7.30. It was hell. And the first time I went in for the, because they had to make a mask. So the first time I went in and I got the complete face mask put on, I was doing it with a guy who was going to be an extra. And as soon as they covered him up and put the straws up his nose and in his mouth, he lasted about 30 seconds when he was gone. He just couldn't take it. But they were horrible, horrible, horrible things to wear. They're just no fun. And by the end of the week, you've just got this ring of, you know, because I was allergic to the glue that they put on. And as Marasta Yale, they made me a special pair of sort of fish flippers, you know, hands that were like mittens. And these mittens were just a pain in the butt. I just didn't know what to do with these things. And the scenes always, they let you wait around with all this stuff on, and then suddenly they say, ready in five, and then you knew you were going to work for about eight hours. 
So they came, they said, ready in five. I said, okay, have to go to the loo. Zoomed off to go to the bathroom. And as I turned around, knocked one of these things into the loo. <laughs> one of these fish finger things into the loo. And I sat there staring at this thing floating about. I thought, what do I do? I didn't know if I could wash it. I didn't know how to, I mean, I, I didn't know what to do with the thing. So I very gingerly put it under water. And it immediately absorbed all the water that was in the basin. So it was now this really revolting thing that I admit I had to put back on my hand. And I used it a lot in the scene. So it was just, it was, and, oh, it was just awful. So I, I eventually got it wrung out and dried off and then went in there and said I'd lost them. And so then they tied them both onto me with a piece of string like a child going to school. <laughs> and these stupid things right around me. But anyway, and they weren't going to make me another one because they, they were very difficult to make and they had so many to make with all that stuff that ears were put on. I had maybe three pairs of ears and they were put on separately and I had one pair of these mittens for Marasta and I had three masks and that was that was it. So I had to. They would take. They took three and a half hours to put on every morning, and they took an hour and a half to take off every night. So I got there at three thirty. I was on the set by seven thirty, wrapped at ten thirty, and back at three thirty. So was it a relief when you got to do your Voyager episodes where you didn't have the prosthetic makeup? Well, the Voyager thing was a whole other case. That was a whole. That was there were massive problems with her too. Um, well, she took a long time, too, because the wig and all of that sort of stuff, and, and you know, the, the hideous harridan, as I used to call it. And I did that shoot with septicemia. I had been bitten by a cat down to the bone, and I didn't want it to not do the job, so I thought I'd just quietly not mention to them. You know, I, I didn't, I'd already done the Friday shoot. I was coming in to finish her off on the Monday. So I thought, and I got bitten on the Saturday, and I knew I was in trouble because it blew up and I had blood poisoning. So I went to the hospital and said, listen, I've got the shoot, so just fix me up until uh, Tuesday. I'll be in on Tuesday morning. <laughs> I mean, I was insane. So I got to Paramount, and... My arm was all puffy, and I was wearing that stupid outfit. So I just said quietly to somebody, listen, you know, on the TV, just keep me filled up with painkillers because I've got this blood poisoning thing, and I just and I need to, I just want to finish this shoot. And I, I've told them I'll be back on Tuesday. Well, they absolutely freaked. I mean, it was just naive of me to think I could get away with it. And they all freaked, and they told the director, they told the producer, and the next thing I was marched off half-dressed in my Victorian gear, to the emergency room at Cedar sinai which is the big hospital in L.A. And I get towed in there into the emergency. I'm wearing the wig with all the lace uh, stuff. I have that strange makeup on. I've got a Victorian petticoat and all of that stuff on. And I'm walking through the emergency room, and there's two guys who've just been in a knife fight, and they're lying on stretchers just bleeding everywhere. And they look at me as I walk past, and their eyes get absolutely enormous. And they just say, we've died, we've died, we've died. And they really thought I was something out of another life that had just walked past them. You know, and it, was, it must have been the most weird thing, seeing me in, in costume going in, in the emergency room. I don't know, maybe they're used to it because it's Hollywood, but it was, it was, it was fun for me. You would think they would see that all the time. Well, you'd think so, but I don't think they do, because normally most people get, you know, I went to the emergency because it was blood poisoning, but I think most of the, 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 the doctors go to the studios. That storyline of the hollow novel that you were in on Voyager, it never really 
got resolved. Was there any plans to bring you back for another episode? Oh, yeah. They thought this would be an arc that would go on through the series. But every so often, which was, you know, because it was basically Mrs. Danvers, um, that they thought that I would come back. And, and they told me that at the beginning. They said, listen, this is your chance because you're going to be probably in three or four, maybe five of these episodes. And the writers just couldn't make an interesting enough story out of it for it to be continued. That was basically all that happened. So they dropped it. They didn't like it up there, upstairs, you know. I liked it. I, I was always looking forward to seeing how it ended, but... Well, I know. We, I mean, yeah, I know. Kate and I had all sorts of ideas about it, because it could have been really interesting, but they did, they just didn't want to pursue it. And I, I don't think that they were, you know... Well, I don't know. I don't know if Brandon knew enough about, about the classics, you know, because there was, there was all sorts of fun ways it could go. Anyway, they didn't, so that's not. Other than uh, the Star Trek and Quantum Leap, do you have any favorite projects that you did or that people seem to enjoy that you were in? I know you've done so much, but uh, is there anything that like really sticks out as your favorite? There was so much of it because you know television is such a strange medium that it's very difficult to lose yourself in it. You know, as an actor, I mean, and I've done a lot of theater and I've done a lot of good movies. You know, and I don't have a special one because each one. I don't. I don't have a special one. I have some horrible ones I'd rather not have done, but I, I which I don't, don't even talk about. But the ones that I did that people know me for, I always had a good time. The people made it's so much easier to work well when you're surrounded by good actors, and it's as simple as that. You know, the Cagney and Laces I did. I loved both those women. They were just extraordinary and became great friends. In Patrick Stewart was a joy, as was... Well, I mean, everybody on Star Trek was a joy. I loved... I, I, you know, that's all I can say. I love doing theater. I've done a lot of that. And it's the company that allows you to go to different heights. Bad television, bad performances, good stories, good acting. It's a very boring answer to your question. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. With the advent of Netflix and people watching older television shows, do you get new generations coming up to you that recognize you from uh, shows you did earlier in your career? Well, there are some people that do. I mean, you know, and on this side of the globe, what's happening is that people know me very well for a ghastly movie that I did that I hated called Steptoe and Son. <laughs> that that was the original Sanford and Son, right? That was the, the yeah the precursor to Sanford and Son, and and I did the only movie, and and I hated it. I hated. I mean, I loved I loved Wilfred, but I hated the rest of them, and it ended up being a very uncomfortable shoot for me. But it's it's incredibly popular, and and I was in a cab about six months ago. I was in London, and I hadn't been back for thirty five years, really, not for any length of time. And I was in this cab, and I was going off somewhere. And the cabbie kept looking at me and smiling. And he said, why are you smiling? And I said, well, it's so bizarre to be back here after 30 years tooling around in a cab. And he said, why, where have you been? And I said, well, Los Angeles. And he said, yeah, huh, I knew that. And I said, how did you know that? He said, because I know who you are. I said, what do you mean? He said, you did a movie called Steptoe and Son, didn't you? And I said, yes. And he said, that's one of my favorite movies. So bizarre to be recognized. I mean, he didn't know anything else I'd done. He didn't know me from even the, the, the Star Trek or any of that. He remembered me from Steptoe. I mean, I did Steptoe in 1972 or 70. That's a long time ago. And I was born. So that was uh, sort of interesting. People know me here for Survivors, which is also a television series. Right, that's big on Netflix right now, too. 
Is it big? I think so. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about it, so it's it's on my queue. I'm going to check it out. Well, no, it's a very, it's a really interesting. I think it holds up. So if you can get by the accents, I think it really holds up. Oh, I love uh, British television. So, <laughs> well, we're doing. Funnily enough, um, the three of us that did the first series are all getting together to do another a radio, an audio show, an audio series of Survivors. Oh wow! And we're doing it for a company called Big Finish here in, in England. Who are also at the moment doing a lot of Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. Well, they're doing Doctor Who with Colin, and I and I've done one of them as an alien. So. I'm going back to do another. And then they said, you know, we're going to do a series with, with all you original guys of Survivors. I think that's a great idea. So that's one of my projects coming up this year. That's amazing. You, you've been doing a lot of voice work lately um, for video games also, and uh, you're one of the few people that have done Star Trek and Star Wars because you've done the Star Wars video games. Um, I have. I know. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. <laughs> you, you And Doctor Who, you've been in everything, really, the, all the iconic big sci-fi things. I know, isn't that cool? It's it's amazing. I love it. I love it. It's so cool. I do. I really do. I really do. I'm, now, I went to Cardia to do a convention, and we, we got a whole bunch of, of stuff together. And of the photographs that went most of all, it was uh, Mass Effect, the Doctor in Mass Effect. The Cardiff University were there, and, they, and that's the one that they recognized me for, and they really they, they love that character. Do you enjoy doing the voice work? work. I love it. I love it because it's a chance to act, you know, in, in, in your comfy clothes. But it is such hard work. And you really you really know that you've worked hard when you when you've done one of those shows. To work with just a, a microphone and to make it come alive and know that the people are gonna write this old character and the creature that it's going to be under you then luckily they give you a guideline of the character. You know, they give you a, a diagram of what she's gonna look like. And then, then you go from there. It's, it's incredibly hard work. Because you have nobody to act off. So it's, it's great fun. I love it, but I'm always exhausted. And also because there's always a lot of dying in it. So one's <laughs> screaming and you're, you know. I mean, the last one, always the last one, Gears of War. Um, Mira, the, we went through one afternoon where Chris called me and he said, we're going to do, this is going to be hell, so you've got to really have your voice warmed up. So I'm singing and warming up my voice in the car going over there. People thought I was nuts and I get in there and he's got like 60 pages of, of Mira, the Logos Green, dying. And he said, all right, so we're going to start with this one. And this is when you get cut in half with an electric, with a, with a, with a, with a saber, you know, a, a, a laser saber. This is where you get burned. This is where you get blown up. This is where, you, and there were all these different ways that I had to die. I literally, I couldn't talk for about two days. <laughs> and it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting using that much energy and having to remember that you can't go off mic, that you've got to keep it in focus. You've got to remember where, it's crazy. It's crazy, but I love it. One, I, you know, I lose pounds doing that. You just sweat buckets in that studio. It's great fun. Going back to Quantum Leap, did you find a, a different playing a hologram versus a leaper? No, no, because there is no difference. The truth is there. You you, you play the you play the person. You know, she doesn't know she's a hologram. She doesn't care if she's a hologram. I mean, the only element that might have come into it is that she could have more fun. But I mean, really, she just as far as she was concerned, I guess she just thought she was real. We have a question from Hayden. 
Yeah. Miss Stoltz was a ghost and disappeared once her body was found. Zoe and Aaliyah are implied to be dead and sent by the devil to undo Sam's work. Do you think it was intended that Mrs. Stoltz and Zoe are the same character and that Zoe was recruited because of her previous altercation with Sam, or do you see them as entirely separate characters? Well, this person has spent a lot of time thinking about it. <laughs> um, what a good question. Do you know, I, I mean, I've never, ever considered it, so I don't, I, I can only, because I've never really thought about it, I would have to say that it was, that, that, that it was two separate characters. But maybe that's what Don said. He never brought that up to me. But maybe that's exactly what it was. What a brilliant concept. Thank you, whoever that was. Brilliant. That was uh, Hayden. Hayden, well, thank you. Well done. You have such a such a great voice. Uh, I think that's why people recognize you no matter how many prosthetics you wear is partly, you know, of course you're acting, but the voice is amazing. I think it is too. My voice has got me into lots of trouble and also lots of joy. It's worked out well. It, was, it did not start off like this, Albert. It was a very different voice. It was very high. I had a very high voice, and I went to drama school, and the, probably the, the paramount voice teacher in the world, a woman called Sis Berry, who is extraordinary and stands among, well, maybe not the world, she's probably amongst five, but she taught me voice, and I used to talk like the queen, and I had no nerve register. I talked exactly like that, as you will see when you watch Survivors. And she came up to me, and she just punched me in the diaphragm one day. And if you get punched in the diaphragm and you let out the air, your voice goes, <laughs> and she said to me, I never, ever, ever want to hear your voice go higher than that. And that's where my voice trying to keep it down there. Um, and now it's completely natural. And I didn't have a range before, so I was in, it was incapable of working for me because that's my tool, and if I don't use it properly, you know, I let it down. And she enabled me to see how far I could go with it. That's why voice work is such a joy now, because I really practice with it. It's always learning. I never get it right. <laughs> never get it right, no matter how many takes. I never get it right. I maybe, I've maybe gotten it right twice in a 40-year career. Wow. Always driving. Do you have any little anecdotes or stories that happened while filming Quantum Leap the listeners might want to hear? I don't. I mean, that's the awful thing is I don't. I mean, I, you know, it's been a long time. And, you know, I, I don't because there just wasn't time for anything too funny to happen. I'm sure Scott has some things to talk about, but there was nothing horrible happened on that show. It was very tightly organized, very tightly run, and there just wasn't time, you know, Scott was professional and just had a bead on, 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 he knew everything about everyone on that shoot. He knew, he knew every, and he also knew everybody. He knew, he knew everybody's names. He wasn't, he was just divine and professional and gentle and kind, but so well rehearsed and so on the ball every single day. I've never known a man work so hard. And the opposite end of that was Dean, who didn't work so hard. <laughs> and Dean was the one who had the jokes, and Dean was the one with that saucy cigar that I loathed, and and he and I were the naughty couple on the set. I mean, we you know we were the ones that created sort of you know if there was any problem or we weren't ready, we kicked in the middle of a take or something. It was Dean and I. But I don't have any sort of real anecdotes because there just wasn't time for them. It was a very professional shoot. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know that you enjoyed your time, though. I did. I loved it. I loved it. 
was it difficult with all the special effects they had to do with the leaping and the morphing? Did you have to do spend extra time like standing still, and was that difficult? Uh, no, that in itself wasn't difficult. What was difficult was remembering where you were when you when it turned around. You know what I mean? Um, that, thank God for that continuity girl who really, you know, continuity guy. I mean, you know, they both of them worked really, really hard. No, that, it just was confusing because the, the, you know they'd say you've morphed now and boom, and you were somewhere else, and so it was sort of it was sort of weird, but it wasn't difficult. I didn't have to do anything special. Special effects, they do it all. Thank you so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. That was lovely. It was lovely. You are very welcome, Arthur. It was so great to hear from Carolyn again. Like you said, Matt, at the top, um, fabulous, fabulous. She was just so funny and so cool. And uh, I, I wanted to wait for my Renee Coleman story because some of the stuff that I spoke to Renee about in the brief time that we spoke kind of jives with something that Carolyn said at the very end of that interview. If you notice that interview, she spoke very briefly about quantum in the beginning, and then uh, a lot about Star Trek and a lot about her film career and things like that. And then they touched very briefly. On, Albie did try to circle back to Quantum Leap, but she had no anecdotes. She had no real stories from the set. She said it was very professional. She had a great time. I mean, but she had very little to say because mm -hmm. there was not... I guess in her mind, that remarkable of a shoot um, because there were no problems. Everything went smoothly. Everyone was professional. Okay, so getting to Renee. I had a number for Renee Coleman. I think Hayden gave it to me. And as is usual, what I'll do is I'll call the celebrities that have been on the show expecting to get just a voicemail. So this is me Monday. I'm at my Monday office at my regular job. And I had like five minutes to walk to the Rite Aid that's in the same shopping center to get like a bottle of water. So I'm just walking and I said, oh, you know what? Let me call and see if I can leave Renee a message. And I'm halfway to the Rite Aid and someone picks up the phone. Hello. And I knew the voice immediately. And I said, hi, can I speak to Ms. Renee Coleman? Speaking. And <laughs> I was just like at a loss because usually... Again, I'm expecting to leave a message. Hi, it's me, Chris. Call me. I'm at the Quantum Leap Podcast. I have like a whole spiel, a whole patter. She completely floored me. I, I, I did not expect her to just answer her phone. So, you know, cue me becoming just a bumbling moron. Uh, um, hi, um, oh, Renee. Oh, hi. This is oh, my name is Chris Christopher DeFilippis. I'm quote I because it just caught me off guard. So I feel like I was rambling a little bit when I was talking to her, but. Basically, the, the, the upshot is that um, I managed to get out who I was and why I was calling and all about the podcast. And she was very, you know, gracious. And she said, thank you for calling. Um, I think it's wonderful that there are still fans. I can't believe there are still fans because it was so long ago. But I honestly am flattered that you want to talk to me, but I don't have anything to talk about. She honestly was not against the idea of maybe talking to us about the show if she had had any kind of memories that she could bring. But I think as it is with a lot of the people that we speak to, this was a job they had for a week 30 years ago. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, maybe there's just for a lot of people, there's just not a lot to really rehash about it. So I told her I completely understood, you know, and I let her know that I'm sure that our fans and our listeners would love to hear from her regardless. So if she ever changed her mind, I left the door open. Hmm. But I think that that's as much as we're going to get out of Renee. And hmm. I was just thrilled. So I got my own personal interview with Renee <laughs> Coleman. It was it was five minutes standing outside of a CVS uh, <laughs> in a shopping center sounding like a complete idiot. But – I was still able to do it. So wow. um, that is the story about how I completely failed to land Renee Coleman as a guest on the Quantum Leap podcast. You're welcome, Aww. everyone. I hope that you enjoyed my little story. That's a good story. Even though I'm a colossal failure in that regard, um, we are doing some things correctly. At least you two guys are because we have a bunch of feedback and some Patreon hey. news. So Heck why yeah. don't we get into that? Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we start with the Patreon stuff? We have a new Patreon supporter. His name is Daniel McConkie. He has joined us at the $5 Leaper level. Woohoo! Yay! Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for finding Yay. us. We're so happy that Yay. you've decided to support the podcast. And not only did Daniel join us at the $5 Leaper level, but we also have another new Leaper who is a longtime supporter of the podcast. His name is Donald Summerlin. Donald upped his $3 observer pledge to the $5 Libra level. So thank you, Donald. I guess that um, maybe some of the promos that we've been putting out for Leaps Elsewhere and for Fangent have been intriguing some people. I hope so anyway. They got to hear all about Gung Ho. Oh, yes. We got to hear about Gung Ho and just all the stuff that we're rambling about. So I want to thank both of them. And um, that's just amazing. We just keep growing in that respect. And it's funny, um, people are discovering this podcast all the time. And I want to point to a voicemail that we recently got. And I'm wondering if this is Dan, because I got the voicemail. And then Dan signed up as a leaper, like two days later, or a day later. So why don't you guys listen to this? Y'all, I can't believe I just discovered you existed yesterday. You guys have been around since what, 2013, it looks like? And I just found you yesterday, Quantum Leap being my favorite thing that I make everybody watch. It's like a rite of passage. And it's really interesting how I found you. It's, it's actually a little bit weird. But for the last several mornings, I've woken up with the song Scott Bakula by what? Is it Sunspot? Like this very random song I found on the <laughs> website Al's Place. I've heard that. <laughs> of course you have. And I've, just, I've had it stuck in my head for days. And so I got on Twitter, and I thought, why don't we check and see if there's any Quantum Leap buzz on Twitter? <laughs> Not expecting to find anything on your podcast, thought to myself. This is great. There's no way this is still active. You guys are still active. This is incredible. Thank you. I love the work you guys are doing. I'm so sad that we're already in Season 5, so I don't know what is going to happen when this is all finished, we're coming into the home stretch of the very weird episodes. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Anyway, thank you. I will be listening every week. Awesome. Oh, that was nice. What a nice voicemail. Yeah. And it's just to me, it's just funny how people just discover you all of a sudden. And as you know, this, this is an anonymous caller. I'm, I'm speculating that it might have been Dan, but uh, whoever you are, wherever you are. 
Should should we uh, warp his voice to protect his identity? Maybe, but I just want you to rest assured. Yes, we are in the home stretch, guys. It's just like weird. We have what like six episodes left of the series proper. <gasps> I'm so sad. No. I know it's nuts. But after this, for those of you out there who might be new listeners, we are planning to, once we're done with the show proper, review all of the Quantum Leap novels. So you should uh, see if you can start getting those on eBay or Amazon or wherever you can get them because we're going to be doing all of those. I think there were 18 in total. 18, yeah. I thought there were 20, but I might be including some of the just episode novelizations, which I'm not sure if we're going into that. Well, you know, I've never read like Ghost in the Gumshoe, which is just uh, Trojan, right? It's Trojan and uh, played against Seymour, right? Trojan and Seymour. Because the Ghost in the Gumshoe, that would be the Gumshoe? Yeah. Uh, Well, if you haven't read those, they're different. (laughs) Yeah. They're worth, they're worth checking out. So I, I know that my book was number 16, and I think this series ended two books after mine. That's how I know we series proper. But early on, there were UK editions by Box Tree and US editions by Berkeley. And I'm thinking The Ghost in the Gumshoe was one of those Box Tree books, which is why I n- had never heard of it. Yeah, the, so the, the Ghost in the Gumshoe and the, the pilot novelization were both UK originated. They weren't UK only because they later got printed in France and Germany as well. But then, yeah, then Box Tree went on and reprinted the first half of the American novels. So, so yeah, so yours would be 16 slash 18, depending on whether you're in the UK or the US. I'm wondering, though, should we then, like, do in chronological order, start with the novelization of Genesis, then do Ghost and Gumshoe, and then do Carney Knowledge? Because I was always thinking we'd start with Carney Knowledge. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Like, does that does that seem? Uh, hey, listeners, what do you think? <laughs> um, are, are you are you interested in hearing what we think of the episode novelizations? There are some differences, and it's written differently than the um, than the other novelizations were. I think it would be an interesting sojourn to take. So I'd be curious to know what listeners think as well. So hey. As Allison said, let us know. If you want us to do all of them that we can find, then we certainly will. And we will keep this podcast going for as long as we can, as long as we have fresh content to cover. My end game here, like my long-term plan, is that by the time we get done with the comic books, we're like on the second or third to the last comic book, and Peacock announces a reboot. <laughs> so, <laughs> if we ch- You know what? We just go chapter by chapter with the books. We can keep this going for a while. And that would also help me out, because look me and reading it's difficult sometimes (laughs) (laughs) well yeah the other thing i was thinking is we might even though i've been getting these out about every three weeks lately just because of you know life maybe go down to once a month if we're doing the books just to give ourselves time to read but i feel like that'll be too long anyway we'll, we'll figure it out folks and just you stay tuned we'll uh we'll be here we'll be talking quantum leap for as long as we possibly can so don't you worry on that score you have at least another year ahead of you if not more think about 16 books that's got to be about 8 to 12 months right so anyway thank you whoever sent that voicemail but that's not the only feedback we got. We also got a new five-star iTunes review. This is from someone named Lolio Lolio Wee. And Allison, <laughs> I want you to read this from Lolio Lolio Wee because you're very central to this email. Or am I? I believe you are. Oh, nice. I haven't read any of these yet. <laughs> 
Okay. Yes, this is you're very central to this response, so please. Okay. I like that. From Lolia Lolia Wee. <laughs> it reads Converted QL fan. Thank you, QLP presenters and staff, for providing such great entertainment. Allison, Matt, and Chris all bring their own interesting perspectives, and you can really see how much they love the show. To be honest, I had never really watched QL before listening to the QLP and arrived here from Allison's YouTube channel. Aww. The only thing I knew about the show was that it was on the TV in the hospital where my mom was waiting to give birth to me. I found out that it was the premiere of All Americans. <laughs> However, as I am making my way through seasons 3, 4, and 5, I can now say that I love the show. Ultimately, I just want to say thank you to the QLP people for providing me with more entertainment during this rather lonely pandemic year. It's great to watch a TV show that has so much heart and is so optimistic, and it's wonderful to hear three people speak so openly about their love of something without being typical super fans. Well, Thanks. That's nice. I mean, I like being a super fan, but... Even more so, I like being an atypical super fan. Atypical. <laughs> yeah, they put that in quotes. Typical super fan. <laughs> you know, I, I hope Lolio Lolio Wee isn't actually that person's birth name because you, know, you, you guys both <laughs> well, mocked it. See, <laughs> the, when their mom was watching All Americans, they were like, what do you want to name the baby? And she was like, Lolio Lolio Wee. <laughs> She's just having a great time. It was one good epidural is what that was. <laughs> Why am I having flashbacks to when we were talking about nine and a half months that Allison, like Quantum Leap was on the TV when you were being uh, birthed? No? Yes? birth do you like why i said that was that the one that aired when the day that i was born was that the one oh could that have been one. it i know that we had discussed something somewhere in this context no no that wasn't the one the one no the one that aired when i was born was um catch a falling star i think oh that's right we said you slid off the table and they had to catch the falling allison yes okay yeah oh, sure <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> Oh, that's great. I feel like maybe I heard this story before, unless there was someone else who said, like, their mom was giving birth to them and watching Quantum Leap, but <laughs> I don't know. My mom was uh, was watching Doctor Who while I was born, so... Wee the, 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 you... Nice. Well, that explains <laughs> everything. <laughs> and that's why your given name is Dr. Matt? Yes. <laughs> it was a Matt Smith episode. That's what it was. <gasps> I just made Matt... Younger than Allison, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> you like, you what, made like, me like 10? 10. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. You know, Allison, maybe you did hear this story. Maybe this person reached out to you on your own YouTube channel since he is a converted Movie Nights fan that came over here. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing when people say they got into Quantum Leap or, or any other sort of thing because they watch my videos. And um, I'm glad that they're enjoying the podcast and actually love the show. It's great. Yeah, me too. So, hey, if anybody else out there hasn't checked it out, you should go to Allison's YouTube channel. Movie Nights is terrific. Mm. And uh, I frequently laugh my ass off when Allison gets on mic and on camera. So, Aw, thank you. Oh, by the way, uh, people can find that at youtube.com slash movie nights the series. Hey, good plug. Well done. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Thank you, Allison, for handling that one. Maybe Matt and I will switch off on the next one. Matt, are you game for that? Sure. All yeah. right. This one is from Emma Fee, and she reached out to us on Facebook 
And Emma writes, hi, I'm just finishing up the Dr. Ruth episode. I'm with Matt. I'm quite fond of the episode. And the discussion about the revival campaign was interesting. Uh, She then goes on to say, I co-mod the Facebook page, the fans of Quantum Leap putting things right before they can go wrong. And we tried to get a social media and letter campaign up and running for Leap Day 2020 shortly after the rumoured reboot for Peacock was in the news. Unfortunately, this didn't amount to much, just a handful of tweets. But if anyone wants to give it another go, I have the relevant Twitter handles and postal addresses ready and waiting. And that is from Emma Fee. So I guess if you guys out there are interested, if we're reaching more people than maybe they were able to, or maybe we can consolidate efforts, you can find her on the Fans of Quantum Leap Putting Things Right Before They Can Go Wrong Facebook group. I'm sure Emma will give you all the relevant Twitter handles, as she said, and the postal addresses. Is that still a thing, like an actual postal address? Wow. Uh, the, the Quantum Leap building. <laughs> <laughs> on Quantum Leap Street. <laughs> Stallion Gate, New Mexico. One, two, three, yeah. Quantum Leap yeah. Street. <laughs> <laughs> Stallion Gate, New Mexico. That's cool. I mean, I've, I've said uh, my feelings on, like, how I think a, a reboot would go. You have to have, like, a big campaign going online, basically, these days. You know, the letter-writing campaigns became social media campaigns and hashtags and stuff like that. So... It could happen. You never know. Yeah, again, I'm waiting for that that momentum to build up just in time for us to start covering the reboot as soon as we're done with all the other ancillary stuff. So get on that, Leapers. Get on that, MFE. We're counting on you. Yeah, you know, and whenever one of these happens, when people are like, we're trying to get it going, or like, there's a rumor it might happen, uh, we're going to know about it because everyone's got to tell me. <laughs> they'll, tell, they'll tell you too. Like, they're yeah. like, do you know this is happening? Like, have, yeah. have you heard? Have you heard? <laughs> have you heard? Scott Bakula did an interview and said, you never know. Maybe. <laughs> hey, Good that's effort. confirmation for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw a, a 15 minute YouTube video with a fan theorizing about it. So yeah. it's, it's definitely happening. Donald Belisario <laughs> said, like, I would do it. So, I mean. <laughs> It's probably coming back next week. <laughs> you could tell by the nuance in his shrug when he said that. Like, yeah, obviously, <laughs> like, there was something he wasn't saying. I mean, uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like, I think it's just a matter of when and not a matter of if. I think it'll happen. Well, from your mouth to uh, Peacock's ears, uh, let's hope that that is <laughs> yeah. uh, the way it does go. So thank you, everyone, for reaching out to us. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for Lolio Lolio. Thank you. Before you wrap up. <laughs> That wrap up yet? There was I. I told you I was looking forward to this feedback because there was something I wanted to pick up on. What? 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 Because I I noticed I I was I did my prep. I actually read this in advance. Holy shit! What? Who are you? What have you done with Matthew Dale? (laughs) I wasn't feeling well. Um, (laughs) Something that I picked up on um, because we never really got to the bottom of quite why I found Doctor Ruth slightly more acceptable than you guys did, and I realised Emma's got something in common with me in that she is also a Brit. Is there possibly an element that there is always this mystique, just this very slight level of Hollywood magic that we Brits always feel about anything American? I know Dr. Ruth herself is not American, but most of her career has been in the States in the same way that I think you guys possibly feel about British culture sometimes. And I just started thinking, like, okay, if Quantum Leap was around today, 
the British equivalent would be if he leapt into Jeremy Kyle or something. And that, that would just be a level of tack that I would never be able to get over. <laughs> okay. But I gotta, I gotta. Dr. Ruth, because, because Dr. Ruth is not a part of British culture, she's a part of American culture, that tack level just is not, that, it's not there. So I can take the episode more seriously without cringing a little bit and going, oh, but that's Dr. Ruth, which I guess a lot of the American audience probably did. So I, w- I do wonder if there's this American-British divide. I, I, I'm not going to claim Dr. Ruth is amazing, but I do wonder if on average people in Britain possibly have a a slightly easier time enjoying Dr. Ruth um, without being put off by the celebrity leap element. Just a thought. Maybe. Now I have some follow-up questions for that. <laughs> Number okay. one, Emma Fee. Yeah, I mean, that is a pretty British name, Emma Fee. But do you just assume that she's from the UK because she spells rumoured with two U's? Oh, I didn't even notice that. No, we've we've, we've spoken before. I, oh, you have? I okay. know Emma. Yeah. Okay. Brits always know when another one's around, you know? Yeah. Your Brit dar went off, so... <laughs> Oh, I should have a Brit dog. No, see, uh, the, the thing is, opening up the, this this can of worms here with the whole like, um, so so you're like, there's a couple things here. British like all things American, or does it bother you less because she's uh, not really a British celebrity? It'd been a lot in a lot of American media. Is that what you're getting at here? Yeah, I, I don't think we don't necessarily like all American things. In fact, I think there's a fair few parts of American culture that that your average Brit looks down on a little. Um, <laughs> but but just that it, it's just that it's slightly less real the stuff that's coming out of American TV because just all those elements of it. I'm sure you guys must be able to relate to that when you watch British TV, and it just had it's slightly more removed from reality than your own TV, isn't it? Oh, very much so. But we watch the same Britcoms from, you know, like 30 years ago that air on PBS. Well, anyway, I do. I, I'm not really up on like current stuff very much, except for I saw some Orphan Black and some, you know, some Doctor Who, but that's about as far as I go. Allison, you probably are much more versed than I am. No, I mean, I don't watch, like, a ton of British stuff, though, I mean, I have watched um, some that I enjoy. Um, it, it's not really about, um, th- I mean, there is a different feel, but I think as far as, like, the celebrity stuff, watching celebrity uh, stunt casting stuff in, in anything, it's kind of like the feeling of when you're watching a backdoor pilot, like, you're like, why are we focusing on this particular thing? Like they're like, look how great they are. I'm I'm just enamored with this thing. And then it becomes about like this star who's not necessarily part of the show. And um there there's just a different feel to it. And uh it, it's been like that, like you were talking about British stuff. There's been episodes of Doctor Who where they did stunt casting with like uh British celebrities that I wasn't necessarily familiar with, but I knew that this was a stunt casting thing because the feel of it was different. And it was like, I just don't, why though? It's even more off-putting when it's someone I'm not familiar with because I care even less <laughs> about who the guest star is. And they did that in Quantum Leap when they did like uh, celebrity leaps that aren't necessarily with the celebrity stunt casting in some later episodes we haven't gotten to yet. And it, it felt like it was more about that particular thing than Sam or Al 
And uh, I don't know. I guess it just depends on how you handle it. Because sometimes it can work fine. There's been stunt casting and stuff that's been great. Like the X-Files threw in Alex Trebek one time. Yeah. Or- <laughs> oh, but that, you're talking about the best episode of the X-Files ever. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, that is a high watermark for the X-Files. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you can do stunt casting and not be stupid. I just think Dr. Ruth was stupid. <laughs> and to your point, Matt, about, like, tack and to Allison's point about stupidity, I guess you mean, like, tacky, like a, like a certain tacky level yeah. that makes you cringe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, or you can enjoy it because it's tacky, like when Voyager had the rock on it. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but for me... If you're going to go with tacky, I wouldn't think Dr. Ruth, and this is just a personal feeling of mine. I usually don't like anything mainstream, and if anything mainstream or mundane pops up in my sci-fi as some kind of crossover, it tends to annoy me. But I actually think that Dr. Ruth is a good person, and I have absolutely no negative feelings toward her. So when I, no, sh- no. When I saw her show up on Quantum Leap, I didn't get that dreaded, why are you fucking with my favorite thing, you fucking mundanes, get the fuck out of here and go away. We don't need you, we don't want you, we don't want you ruining what's great to us, just so it can be watered down for you. And that's, <laughs> see, but that's how angry I would have gotten. If it was maybe somebody other than Dr. Ruth and like some kind of like pop star or some kind of like. It went to Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) So as you can tell, you're right. There would be a a certain level of vitriol on my part. Yeah. Dr. Ruth. Absolutely. I think she's delightful. Why not? She she seems fine. And I like to make fun of this episode. I'm not mad. I just think it's (laughs) the worst episode they made to me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, I think there is a different thing to to you mentioning, you know, British people liking American stuff. I feel like, and this is like with anyone who's watching a TV that's that's not from where they're at, sometimes there's this kind of idealized version of it. A lot of uh, people overseas uh, enjoy American television because there's this sort of like idealized America kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's like when uh, people are really into British stuff, I heard this great term, tiaboo, for <laughs> Americans. Who, it's like weeaboo, but tiaboo. <laughs> okay. For obvious reasons, there's tea in it. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, there's some people like Americans who are super into British stuff. They're like, oh, I love... Uh, Doctor Who and Sherlock and uh, those sexy shows with the sexy Brits and everything's really quaint and old. And there's sort of like this like idealized version of what uh, the UK is, you know. So I think there's a bit of that with TV. Well, I'm glad where wherever it comes from, I'm glad that somebody somewhere somehow enjoyed Doctor Ruth. That's what I'm taking away from this. So you go, Emma Fee. You go, Matta. <laughs> if you out there would like to be like Emma or Lolio Lolio, wee! There are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod. And you can always go that extra mile like Daniel McConkie or Donald Summerlin and support us on Patreon at patreon.com dot com slash quantum leap podcast just remember we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of upcoming episodes matt i know we all know what's next so why don't you lay it on us 
Well, next up is part two of our three-part podcast, the finale of Return of the Deliverers from the Revenge of the Evil Jimmy. Something? Did I... Was some of that right? I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I think it's Revenge of the Evil Leaper. Just Revenge. Let's just go for Revenge, that's safest. and you don't know where you are. Sam. If you're yelling for a three-letter savior, I suggest you make it start with a G. I have to get out of here. Well, that's simple. All you have to do is tell me which one of you two did it. I did what? First you act like you don't know where you are, then you pretend you don't know why. We don't! Oh, you don't? Well, you better figure it out or you're going back in that box. Now, ladies, which one of you murdered Carol Benning? Oh, boy. Well... Sam finally did it. He finally fulfilled one of Al's fantasies. He's in a women's prison movie. I'm loving it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, if you're going to go evil, you might as well go. You were talking about tack before, Matt. You might as well go as tacky as they get. And, uh, you know, there were some women's prison scenes in my book. So, maybe this is where I got my inspiration. (laughs) I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, we'll find all of that out next time. Until then, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time for the denouement of the Evil Leaper saga. Denouement is such a good word. <laughs> With my Brit-dar. <laughs> Brit-dar. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production.
I, I remember next to nothing about uh, Starship Troopers other than my dad took us all to see it. And I'm sure it was not appropriate for me to watch back then. I didn't understand <laughs> any of the nuance. I just knew there were some big bugs. <laughs> they were getting yeah. blown up. <laughs> That's about it. Your dad must have loved the communal shower scene. <laughs> Hide your eyes, honey. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why my dad took me to that. That's like an R-rated movie. <laughs> He's just like, it's sci-fi and there's some bugs. I don't know. He must have been terribly embarrassed, but I, I remember nothing about this. You should bring it up next time you see him. So, how about that shower scene in Starship Troopers, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> Be like, hey, Dad, remember when we went to see the Matrix movie with the big orgy scene? I remember that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, especially considering when he rented like the sequel to Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> and then when they, they were watching it, it got to a point where he's like, inappropriate, inappropriate, and then made us leave the room. Like, as if Deuce Bigelow was ever going to be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, your dad just wanted to see movies and your kids kept getting in the way. He invited us! We I didn't want to go to the Matrix sequel. I was so bored. <laughs> he had to take his chances. I didn't want to go see Star Wars Episode 2, but he took me to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was all on him. How old were you? Oh, I don't remember. When what came out? Whichever movie he took you to that was like embarrassing. Starship Troopers. Okay, Starship Troopers. Came that was 97. Out 97, so I was eight. Yeah, he can't leave you home alone. You're eight years old. Of course he's going to drag you to the movies because he wants to see it. I have two parents. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your mom was working. I don't know. My, my, no, my mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom, so uh, she did some other stuff, but I think at that time she was probably staying at home. Either way, I remember him wanting... He would do this a lot. <laughs> we don't have to keep this in the episode, by the way. He would do this a lot. He would take us to these sci-fi movies we didn't want to see, but he was into it. So, yeah. But then again, there were a lot of kids' movies I'm sure they didn't want to see that we took them to, so... <laughs> Alright, so there I am, just like some bumbling dolt not managing to get <laughs> one word out to Renee Coleman that I thought was coherent. Aww. But like I said, she was very, very kind. And she was uh, she was really nice for at least hearing me out. And that is the story about how I completely failed to nail to nail shit. That is the story. <laughs> well, you did. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know you tried, but... <laughs> <laughs> We were robbed of the Diaper Monkey Trilogy.